The Secrets of Technology is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Technology. Hi, I'm Dom Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Technology, where we discuss the technology news that's important to you from a uniquely Catholic point of view. And joining me today on the panel are Thomas Sanerho. Hi, Thomas. Hey, Dom. How's it going? Very well, thank you. And Pat Scott. Hello, Pat. Greetings. Uh, so we're going to be continuing to talk about the same thing we're all talking about, but uh, from the technology standpoint, and there's some important uh, user-based information out there. There's, some, there's stuff in the news that's being reported by the mainstream news that may not be uh, they may not be doing such a great job of reporting on it. So we're going to try to wade through some of that and get to whatever the inf- actual information is. And we, you know, we may not have all the answers, but we're going to kind of parse through it. The first thing is a uh, this is brief story about uh, Facebook. Facebook is going to has announced that it's going to be uh, working with Carnegie Mellon University Research Project to uh, to connect with the Facebook users to take their survey on self-reported coronavirus infections. So, uh, and apparently Google was doing the same thing too, which is basically just soliciting their users to take the survey. Uh, what do you think? Is this anything someone should be concerned about that Facebook is getting data or Google or uh, that, what, what do you think, Thomas? I mean, anytime you give Facebook data, you kind of have to worry about it. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, um, but no, I think in this case, this is one of those areas where big data is really going to work in our benefit. Like this, yeah. is, this is a, a proof positive that it is important for us to be on top of how to use big data. And for us to to make sure that we're doing it, first off, voluntarily, which I like that that's a big mm-hmm. part of all of the things we're going to talk about right now, or they're all voluntary right. uh, to, to a degree, or, to some degree or another. But they they are voluntary, voluntary contributions from uh, people, and it helps when we are all voluntarily contribu- uh, contributing to that information. That's right. Yeah. That's the big thing is, is they said that uh, you'll, you'll go to your, your Facebook feed. At the top, there'll be a link. Hey, take the survey. And all they're doing is just sending you to the to the survey site that's hosted elsewhere, and you take the survey. They're not sharing your information with Carnegie Mellon, and Carnegie Mellon won't be reporting back. So, as far as they all say, Pat, what do you think of this? Is this something you think you could encourage people to do if they if if that's if it pops up on their page? Yeah, I'm again a little bit uh, leery of Facebook's. Involvement. I had already signed up for a voluntary self-reporting app through another company, Eureka, and uh, I've been doing that on a daily basis. And mm-hmm. you know, it's it's not that big a deal. I don't mind the types of questions they're asking. So if that's all that Facebook is doing, and you know, there would be repercussions if they use it for something else later on down the line. I think I could go behind it. Okay. So as a similar a similar question of big data. Uh, came up, and this is a, a bit of a bigger one, which is uh, Apple and Google are collaborating. So, uh, some would say conspiring, but they're not. They're collaborating <laughs> on a way to uh, set up Android and iOS phones to do what's called contact tracing, 
So, so first, what's contact tracing? It's an important tool that's used in fighting a pandemic, which is if someone, if we find out someone has has the disease, we need to find out everyone they were in contact with when they were contagious. And with a disease like this one, where you're you can be contagious for a long time before you have symptoms, it's especially important. That's a very labor intensive and inaccurate can be an inaccurate process because. You've got to sit down with each person who's sick and find out everyone they were near over the past, you know, uh, 14 days, potentially. So what they're trying to do is apply technology to the problem. And so uh, here, here's the description, and we can get into the, 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 the upsides and the potential problems uh, in it. But it's, it's intended to be voluntary. So it would not be put on your phone against your will. You'd have to opt in. You'd have to, you'd have to download an app. They're making an API, a programming interface, not apps. Apple is not going to download an app to your phone or put it in the operating system. Google is not going to download it. There, there will be parts of this in the operating system. I think that's right. That, yes. That uh, will, to make this work, um, apps will have to be created by third parties, probably government health agencies like the CDC or, or whatnot. So, uh, and Apple and Google will help them with that. Uh, Every, here's how here's basically how it works. Every day, your phone will generate a unique Bluetooth identifier. Bluetooth is that short range, low power uh, connection utility. Uh, so every day, a, a unique identifier for you. Every 15 minutes, it'll create a new tracking ID that combines your location and your your daily identifier. As you move around, everyone you come into proximity with who's also running the tracker will capture that 15-minute tracking identifier and vice versa. Uh, and then if you eventually test positive, then they will go back and they'll, they'll, they'll be a database and they'll say, okay, who has this identifier been in contact with over the past 14 days? And then we'll then send out an alert to all those people and, it will, and they will receive alert. These are what you should do next, et cetera, et cetera. Okay, so... Um, it's unclear exactly how the identifying and contacting will work. We, we're not quite sure of the, this, but the so so far does that sound about right? Does that sound uh, mm -hmm. the, does that sound fairly? Probably we can get into the problems, but it sounds like it addresses most of our concerns about privacy and uh, also vol being voluntary, right? Yes and no. <laughs> <laughs> well, what do you think, Thomas? Uh uh, so I, Bluetooth technology is great, first off, and Bluetooth technology is the way to go for this. It's very secure. It's um, the way they're talking about doing it is by generating a new identifier at the beginning of each day. And then basically you're just going to be aggregating uh, a group of those identifiers as you go through your day. And it will be useless to everyone except for someone who has access to a way to decode those identifiers. The problem is, is that they're also going to have to be handing over a way to decode those identifiers to whoever Who's in charge the app is working with. Yeah, so <laughs> right. whoever, whoever and and that's the government that you're handing it over to. So you know, and and I I always with this kind of thing I always go back to the um the the essay that was written about you know identifying the the uh, the original uh, revolutionaries of the U.S. only by metadata, only by the groups that they were involved with. Right, uh, and you could identify a few key men that if you had just arrested them, then the revolution never would have gotten off the ground. Right, and so you have a very similar 
problem here that that could be the way that it is used. My other really big concern, this is the really interesting one, is how this is going to work along with HIPAA laws. Because you you know, medical privacy is really important. And if you your identifier is what is going to attach you to all of these other people, uh, I'm wondering how they're going to keep private that information. And I, I know right. there's ways that they can do it, but it's really interesting to think that what they're doing is they're reporting based off of someone's medical condition. They're now going and finding all the people that they were in contact with right? and trying to say, hey, you were in contact with a person that has now tested positive for COVID-19. You need to come in and get tested. So... I don't know. <laughs> my my guess is is they're not going to say who you were in contact with, just right. that you were, which is could be I think can can create a little fear, but that such is the nature of the of the privacy, I guess. Uh, Pat, what do you think so far? Like, is this sound like it's a at least in concept of something that could work uh, to protect our privacy, but also our health? I think it's probably a, a better solution than just the occasional self-reporting by some people. I think that this sounds like it's something that could be automated, as I say, vol voluntarily opt-in, but I don't see much downside. Uh, yeah, you, you do want to pr uh, protect the privacy. I think they're trying to address that as carefully as they can. But you also have to assume that during an epidemic or something like that, you've got to relax it to protect the whole. Right. I know. I, I worked for the health department and, you know, we had uh, cases where we had to track STDs, you know, venereal disease and all sorts of things. And you at some point have to say to the person, yes, you've got this condition. And for your safety and for the people that you care about, this has to be done. You right. know, you've got yep. to deal with it. And, you know, I think it's a similar thing. So one of the things that they're saying is uh, that this is how we we're going to need this to come out of shelter in place. And it's not this isn't going to happen right away. It takes time to develop technology, write software, make apps. And so it's it's going to this is going to be something for like when we come out of shelter in place or lockdown, whatever you want to call it. We're going to need to have a way where if if someone is infected, we don't have another big outbreak again. And that's one that's the, the goal of this. Um Contract tr contact tracing has always been a key to that, um, and that's why they want to do it. Only five, I think the, the estimate is only 5% of us will have immunity after we emerge from our holes <laughs> in, in May or June or whenever that is. Uh, there won't be a vaccine available yet. This is our, this is our, our safeguard. Uh, people point to places like Korea, South Korea, China, Singapore that have implemented this in a non-voluntary, <laughs> mandatory fashion. Right. Um, and it to South Korea, apparently it's worked pretty well. Um, there's some question about whether it actually works very well at all in China, for instance, uh, given the lack of information they're letting out. Uh, so, uh, so some people are worried, well, that's one of the problems. Some people are worried that making it voluntary may not get enough people on board for it to really work. Is that a, a, a valid concern? And do we need to address that? Yeah, well, I mean, if, if you have it, but then no one that you come in contact with does, then it hasn't really done any good. Right. And so uh, there, there is some, there is definitely a limitation to it. But, you know, we, we talk about those tile trackers all the time and how, how yep. they've been, you know, using those to, to find items around. It's a similar kind of thing. Uh, and so I, th I think that they're, they're doing it with as, as much security practice in mind as they possibly can. Right. And 
it, it, you know, it, it doesn't smell wrong. And, and that's, if it doesn't smell wrong to me, yeah, that's, <laughs> yeah. that's a, that's a big deal for me to say it doesn't smell wrong. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, that, that actually makes me feel good if you, if you think it doesn't smell wrong. All right. So let's, let's get to some of the specific questions that some security researchers have brought up. Some potential things that have to be considered. These are not actually necessarily problems now, but could be problems depending on how it's implemented. So one of the things that, that some have mentioned is all of the devices, every phone would have to download the database of tracking identifiers because it needs to recognize them, you know, and, and that could be hundreds of gigabytes of data potentially, or at least megabytes of data, not hundreds of gigabytes. That would, every phone would be full, but hundreds of megabytes of data, which can be substantial. So in order to avoid that, they might have to say, okay, we're going to just download a subset based on your location, which means we have a little more granular, uh, information about your location so does that that problem has to be solved right uh i don't think so i think you could do this as uh as sort of implementing a small version of a public private um access key pair okay and you know so this gets kind of deep into the weeds of security and stuff but you could you could feasibly do this by attaching a unique identifier to a location and then just keeping a small database set of all the people that you come in touch with. So mm-hmm. your your Bluetooth starts off the day, it gives you the identifier, and then as you go to the store, you walk by someone that also has the app on, and it just grabs their number that's at, happening at that particular time. Okay. And it's just a small string of data, so it really wouldn't, the file wouldn't get very large. And then you can even have it set up so that at the end of the day, it stores to the cloud, and, you know, that day is done, and then the next day you get a fresh one. So... You're talking in the range of, you know, maybe kilobytes, maybe a meg if you went a lot of places and collected a lot of data. So keeping everything in the cloud as much as possible as opposed to storing it on the phone. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, One of the things someone brought up was um, the potential of false data, false positives. So, for example, uh, they'd have to keep false information from being loaded into the database. Like, so someone potentially you know, some malicious jerk who loads thousands of contacts in uh, for the fun of it, creating basically sort of a denial of service situation almost with the, the database and uploading gigabytes of data. So that that's something that they would have to account for. They'd have to have security in place to prevent that. Um, yeah. So that would be a concern. Um, and uh, they also have to keep out false positive alerts so they get it, have it so that someone can't, figure out a way to say, oh, this this number, this identifier is a positive, and then alerting a bunch of people that they were uh, infected potential, or potentially infected or exposed to a, a symptomatic person falsely. And that would, again, mm-hmm. overwhelm the system of people oh, freaking out. So that's, that's another one uh, to be concerned with. And then, uh, and, which, again, solvable problems. Those are definitely right. solvable problems. And then uh, one of the things people said, how do we keep advertisers from minding this API? So, because this is gold information for advertisers. (laughs) Who you come in contact with and where you go every day with your phone, that's that's, that's, that's a a demographic gold for people trying to sell stuff. Yeah, I think out of of all of my concerns, my biggest concern is the fact that this is now an API. Yes. And that just means that it's usable. And so it's like it's changing a fundamental feature of the phone so that your your contact data is usable in some way like this. Right. And that that's a that's concerning, but it, it can be worked around. Yeah, and it is voluntary. And so again, 
everybody be hyper vigilant about what kind of access your app is asking for. If you're downloading a game and it's asking for access to your Bluetooth, you should wonder why it's (laughs) asking for access to your Bluetooth. Yes, (laughs) yes. And keep up with the news. Well, like we will and we'll keep reporting it here. Uh, You know, if when if and when this goes live, there'll be security researchers hammering this, making sure that it's not doing the things that it shouldn't be doing. And as soon as it comes out that, it, you know, if it did come out that someone was misusing it, we'd all find Hammer. out about it and we'd all delete the app and we'd be done with it and that sort of thing. So uh, that would be important to recognize. A uh, couple important things that, uh, or additional bits of information is that Apple obviously can push the, the API, the framework out in a operating system update, and they have very good adoption rates in when they push out security updates. Google has said, because for Android, sometimes the people complain that you can't get updates until the carriers push them. That That's often a problem. Google said they will push this as a, this is more fundamental level update that they send out from themselves mm. that, to the phones, and they would push it as that. So that would be a good uh, way to, to get around that problem. So uh, very interesting. Again, not something that's going to roll out in a week or a month. It's probably longer than that. So there's something to keep an eye on. One comment I had was you talked about it being voluntary, and if not very many people did it, that could be a problem. I was reading somewhere that the CDC said that they had expected a lot of their projections were based upon people 50% being, you know, uh, adhering to stay-at-home policies, and they're finding it's closer to 80%. That people are very, very, uh, you know, high in adopting this, we're going to stay in in place. So. You know, yeah, there are the 20% that are grumblers and, and out on the beach, et cetera. But, you know, to me, just looking around Austin, I see a high rate of compliance that I, from the people I come into contact with. So I'm real hopeful that yeah. this will be a very good method of tracking. I think in general, people have responded to all of this in a very responsible way that they, they that people are in general, they understand the necessity for doing things that need to be done to safeguard all of us. And 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 are appropriately wary and and vigilant, you know, in expressing their vigilance about overreach by uh, government officials or others too. So that I, I I'm I'm hopeful in that uh, to to see those paired. Uh, that that's a good point. I think we we hopefully can expect a high compliant you know opt in rate. So let's move into a, a different aspect of technology and the current situation. Then for our next segment. Uh, the, the the challenges for online learning, and, and I know this is uh, close to home for you, Thomas, uh, especially yes, very much <laughs> as a teacher. Uh, so the New York Times had an article talking about some of the, the challenges that have been faced by schools and students. Uh, as the headline is, as schools move online, many students stay logged out. Uh, a quote from the article, the absence rate appears particularly high in schools with many low income students whose access to home computers and Internet connections can be spotty. Some teachers report that fewer than half of their students are regularly participating. Uh, How's it going for you, Thomas, for your school? It's been really good for us. And um, I think a lot of that is because we got way out ahead of this and we're ready for it before uh, before it happened. We were already moving to the point where we were nearly a one to one school uh, all the way down through fourth grade. So eighth grade down through fourth grade, we were one to one. And we were prepping to get uh, accounts for the, the third graders, second graders, all the way down to the first graders. 
And basically, this just pushed us to make sure that we also had the pre-kindergarten kids have their own accounts. And so we just mm-hmm. you know, bought up a whole bunch of extra Microsoft accounts and we're ready to go. Um, so we were, uh, I, I, I am very proud of my school, Nativity Catholic School in Brandon, Florida, has done a fantastic job of, uh, and, and it is exemplary in the way that they've handled this. And I, I, I think that that uh, takes a lot of burden off of it. So, you know, we, we sent kids home, any kid that had a problem with technology, especially multifamily kids, you know, or multi, uh, multi-kid families, they, they needed to take home some piece of equipment that they mm-hmm. could use. So we sent a lot of our pieces of equipment home with them so they were ready to go. Uh, some of the struggle has been finding, you know, what kids have what. So as the technology teacher, I want to give... Uh, typing lessons to the kids while they're at home (laughs) but a lot of them are using ipads so that doesn't that doesn't work um but then the turn of that is that i have one uh one girl who is um she's uh one of her hands doesn't work very well for typing and i found a typing program that she can do at home that teaches her how to right hand type and she does a fantastic job with it so it's been you know it's, it's been a mixed bag of like of really good and really bad but the area that we're in, I have heard so many horror stories about the, the districts not not having kids have access or if the kids have access, they're not they're just not logging on. Uh, and I'll tell you one story from ours. Uh, our poor deacon, he's doing um, weekly reflections and um, he's very he, he's very sad about the numbers that have been coming through for the views on his uh, on his reflections. And so we're working on trying to figure out how to encourage the kids to make sure that they're watching the reflections. <laughs> <laughs> and that they're staying involved in in the things that they that they're supposed to be involved in, and that you know is part of being a Catholic school. Okay, yeah, the that's an yeah. interesting part, aspect of it from from a Catholic school perspective. It's not just the homework, but it's also the faith elements that they right. should be taking part in too. That's true. That's very true. Pat, have you seen much of uh, to do with kids in schooling with your work? Uh, no, but one of the things that uh, that at least Austin, I know it's it's all across Texas. They have taken school buses and put Wi-Fi hotspots in them and are putting them in in the low income areas. Oh. Uh, and as well as, of course, they're doing like you were suggesting is sending home devices with a lot of the lower income. I don't think it's going to take care of everybody. But I know one of my cousins said, what the heck is this school bus doing beeping its horn at 10 a.m. this morning? And we were able to tell her, hey, it's for the kids in your apartments that need to get access. They can, they can, it's a very strong Wi-Fi and they can get access through that. Oh, cool. So that's one really positive thing I've seen. Um, I haven't heard much from those teachers that are in the, in my clients in co- you know, people that I that I deal with about low absentee rates, but I've, I'm sure that there's got to be a lot of people that maybe have one device at home. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so they've got to take turns with the kids with the yeah. device. Or they don't and, have great Wi-Fi, you know, exactly. high speed, and they've got multiple devices all trying to get online. Right. I mean, I'm sure that there's a lot of that, but uh, there have been several of the schools around town that uh, put strong Wi-Fis right on the edge of their campus and said to the parents, drive on up. <laughs> you know? Right. Yeah. And uh, so that's another method that they're using. Interesting. So we're, they're trying. Yeah. I guess in Miami-Dade, uh, they're, they've distributed more than 80,000, they said, mobile devices, so probably iPads and Chromebooks and laptops, uh, and more than 11,000 smartphones that can serve as hotspots. Not just not for phone use, but to be a hotspot yeah. to get those online, which is interesting. I think this is part of the that we the five the five G rollout. This and I think we need to start 
it 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 proves the need to get a technology into laptops and iPads and things that that really get us online without having to rely on a local Wi-Fi router that gets us beyond that. Uh, th- there are there are benefits to having a local network, which I agree with, uh, and I'm not sure I'd want to try to do this podcast solely over a you know a a cell signal of some sort. But there is that I I think we need to kind of if we can get every phone online without a Wi-Fi hotspot, we need we should be able to get every tablet, every uh, net Chromebook or light laptop or something for kids. Uh, I, I think we're 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 getting we're gathering a lot of information in this crisis, and there's mm-hmm. going to be a lot of seminars, a lot of papers written, and a lot of uh, public policy debates in the next several years about lessons learned and this i think it's going to evolve definitely well and one of the things that i did run across was one of my clients she's retired but she lives in a little community that does you know her wi-fi and her internet when i try to help her is even worse than molasses you know it's more like a glacial speed so you know out in their area they don't have very good internet to begin with much less trying to do video So uh, I can see where the rural areas, you know, they've been talking about it for a long time. How can we get it out to the rural areas? This has got to be pushing this. Yeah. There's been some bills proposed in Congress to take some of the the Rural Telecommunications Act money. There's a little bit of of tax on every one of your phone bills to help pay for rural telephone service to add another tax on it to pay for extending broadband everywhere, which... You know, I, I would normally say another tax, uh, but you know, we're we're kind of proving the fact that we need this infra. It, this is infrastructure, like a road mm-hmm. and water pipes and sewer pipes. We need internet pipes. It's just what about those satellites that had been uh, put up to hopefully get internet everywhere? You know, that was the goal. Yeah, uh, I don't know where we are on that and how it stands. I think we're still- it's still got a few more deployments. Yeah, yeah. And they they haven't they haven't gotten near finished with that. But you know this is this is um there there are some other technologies that we don't talk about a lot, and um, the, a mesh network is one that yeah. that comes up a lot, and uh, it it has a lot of hurdles, and it's a totally different way of doing things. But it, this is looking more and more like uh, a reason for us to do that to just have a mesh network that doesn't rely on this centralized infrastructure Backbone. that yeah. Yeah, you know that, yep. and and I, I'm I'm a big proponent of it because you know I'm all about free access. But uh, I think that it's one of those things that we need to really start thinking about and pushing for. And and the technology is getting to a point where it's catching up to all of the challenges that it would present. Um, you know whether that'll be something that comes out of this, I don't know. But I would love yeah. to see that be a part of the conversation. Public Wi-Fi run by towns was a big thing like fifteen twenty years ago, and kind mm-hmm. of faded. Like it kind of went yeah. away, I think, because a lot of towns didn't want the hassle. They realized that what a hassle was to maintain these networks and secure the networks. Yeah, uh, and 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 so they kind of did away with it. But like, especially when we're talking about get, allowing low income people to to get online easier, they tend to also live in more densely populated areas, which are perfect for mesh. Right. That's exactly, and that and that's that's exactly the where you, where you would make a good argument for it is you know. Uh, lower income in inner city type areas, apartment buildings, like you right. were saying with the with the bus being there, uh, and then uh, the other end of the of that whole conversation too is just when you're talking about um, 
you know, people needing to connect and they just, they don't have the access to, we need to figure out what that's going to look like. Like how can we get packets of information to people uh, without needing to be on a constant stream? And then I, I, and I have to say this, uh, go make sure that when all of this is said and done, you hug your IT person <laughs> because, <laughs> you know, and, and that's, it's the thing that kills me because if, if everything's going well, you don't think about the IT person, right. but as soon as something like this happens, or yeah. as soon as something happens, that's a, that's a critical situation, your IT or security suite, wh- whatever it is, they are the ones that are making sure everything keeps working. Right. And and man, they are I'll, I'll tell you, uh, my workload going home, uh, you would think, you know, I'm the elective class. All my kids are dealing with technology all the time. I don't really need to teach much anymore. Right. I'm done. I am doing three times the amount of work that I was. And it's just in coaching uh, all the other teachers, as well as the students, as well as answering tickets and making sure that I'm keeping people connected. Uh, it, so it's a lot of work. And when we get back to whatever normal looks like after this, make sure that you, that everyone is, you know, patting the IT person on the back and saying, good job. You know, a resource or somebody is essential when you don't notice them when things are going well and you're cursing their name when things aren't. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Well, and I have been so encouraged that I figured when this first started out, oh, this is going to overload the internet. Zoom servers are going to be down. Yeah. I am not seeing that. I am seeing things a little slower. A little slower, right. but not like it's brought to its knees slow. Resilient. And I've just been yeah. really encouraged. Yes, the internet has been resilient through all this. I, I, I'm, I'm astonished at the knock on wood how good Skype has been. <laughs> we rely on Skype to do our podcasts, that, but how relying, mm. reliant so many of the services that we use every day have been. They've held up. They're working well. It's it is it is actually astonishing how well things are going. And yes, kudos to all those sysadmins, IT techs, uh, all of the servers, uh, uh, techs like in the in the big server farms, doing a great job. Yes. Well, this reminds me of Y two K, which I am older than you guys, so I was part of the Y two K conversion. And ever after that all happened, people said, "See, there wasn't a problem. There was not a problem." <laughs> you know, this was all made such a big deal, and we said, "You don't know the thousands and thousands of hours people put on this voluntarily and you know, uh, underpaid, etc." Yeah. But you know, it was a huge effort, and that's why it wasn't noticed. I, 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 again, kudos to to those people from twenty years ago who did such a good job that nothing broke, like almost nothing. What a, a amazing uh, that should be recognized as an accomplishment. That so so many programs, so many computers had this problem, and and there was like I remember like there was like an ATM network in New Zealand that went down on on you know at the the turn of the the midnight, and like that was it. It was amazing. Yeah. And and yeah. again, we're kudos again to our techies who are doing such a great job. The geeks rule. By the way, there were some <laughs> systems that didn't get converted way back then. I found a online COBOL course for anybody who has to pick up after one of those. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a free big deal from right now. If you haven't heard, that's a big deal oh, right now. Oh, I know. Now. Yeah, the unemployment New, Jersey, office. New Jersey's <laughs> unemployment our... office runs on COBOL. <laughs> 
Right. Yeah. And uh, in fact, I was uh, my generation was the COBOL programmers and we were laughing, saying we don't have our manuals anymore. But then, as I say, I found an online manual and a, and a class on how to learn COBOL. So I, I feel like maybe maybe New Jersey could find that out off of GitHub. <laughs> that is a perfect segue to our next uh, segment. We're going to talk about some headlines. And the first headline is about digital hoarding <laughs> and how our terabytes are being put to use for the betterment of mankind. This is an Ars Technica story. And uh, it basically it says that it, it tells like, we all know about uh, the Internet Archive, archive.org. If you're looking for a website that's gone offline or changed, it, you're going to find you, 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 it's your best bet. It's not that it's guaranteed, but your best bet is to, you'll find it at, the, at archive.org. I've used it actually to find parts of my own personal website that's over 20 years old that got corrupted like five years ago or something. And I'm like, oh, well, gosh, I hope it's in the Internet Archive and I go back and find it. So uh, in addition to the Internet Archive, there's the, something else called the uh, an, a, a Reddit subreddit called Data Hoarder, where there are people whose hobby it is, is to just gather all kinds of stuff and like, anything and everything you can imagine that can be gathered. Uh, including, uh, you know, one of the things I love is that YouTube has become a place to go when you're looking for a TV commercial that you that used to be on when you were five, you know, or or mm -hmm. when I was five, you know, never mind. In fact, I literally <laughs> did that today. Uh, uh, that came up with uh, my wife Millie and I. We were, we were remembering this old TV commercial for a local furniture company here in uh, the Boston area called Dean's Home Furniture. And the the tagline, the guy had the, the 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 most Boston accent ever, the Dean, and he would end his uh, every ad with, "Can you get that at one, at those big fancy stores?" I doubt it. <laughs> He'd say it like that, <laughs> and I'm like, I, and the kids are like, "What?" So I had to go find it. Yes, it's on YouTube. Everything's you on in YouTube. <laughs> so people are hoarding things. And so the question I want to kind of put to you is: is some people say, "Oh, we should." Um, we shouldn't hoard things. We should, uh, you know, our computers, we should keep them clean. We should clear out the digital cruft, get rid of old files, get rid of old emails, stop, you know, keeping all that stuff hanging around. We we should have a detachment, digital detachment. Is that is that okay? Or is it okay to hold on to old data? What do you, What do you think? What's your opinion? Well, usually it's after somebody has gone through that process and I'm called in because they <laughs> accidentally got rid of stuff they didn't mean to. So I tell people before I ever convert a machine to a new machine, they'll say, oh, I'll go clean up. I'll say, no, no, <laughs> let me back it up. Right. And then, you know, at that point, give them a backup of all their stuff. So I guess I feel like, yeah, I can get rid of all the old ads. I can get rid of all of the uh, promotional things. But I keep almost all uh, work-related and even and especially family-related emails and texts yeah. and stuff like that. There's a there's a lot I've gone back to look for. I I think archiving is important. And if if you're a minimalist, I'm a minimalist. I, I like mm -hmm. keeping things very clean and very minimal. But that means that I spend more time organizing things, and and that's what's so important. And uh, you know, my my librarian wife would uh, say. Why, why would you not keep things? It's so, the, the barrier to keeping things is so, so low <laughs> digitally. Right. You know, like it's, it's just go buy another hard drive. It's going to cost you maybe 10 bucks, you know? And, yes. and just if, if it's bothering you that much, just take everything and dump it on that hard drive and then forget then about clean it. clean up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Until you need it. Because then, you know, a week later you're going to go, oh man, where's that file? And you're going to go, 
ah, it's on that hard drive that yes. I just bought for 10 bucks, you know? So that, and I think that's the way to, uh, that, that's the way to think about it is, is one, keep yourself organized, uh, date things, put, put the date on a file. I, and this is, this is something that I teach my students yes. with um, graphic design, especially uh, when you're sitting there working on a project, if you put the date on it, you're going to work with the, the, the client and they're going to ask you to change something, ask you to change something. They're going to do 10 changes and then they're going to go, you know, that first one you gave me, I really liked that one. Can we just go back to that? And if you've been saving on the same file the whole time, yes, you're going to have to redo it. <laughs> Whereas <laughs> right. if you've dated them all, you just pull yeah. the one back up and you say, you know, it took me a couple hours to get back to that one. So I got to charge you for that. <laughs> but no, you kept the file. <laughs> so, yes. Date it and make it <laughs> and work from a copy, a new copy. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Put the date in the title of the file and the file name. Don't rely on the metadata on the file. Be, because that can get corrupted put it in the name uh, so i i'm all i'm a i'm a data hoarder i i guess is you know i, I don't have a problem with, with that uh i have i've been using evernote for uh over a dozen years now i have twenty two thousand two hundred two notes in my evernote database nice all tagged all in nice uh directories and folders um i have kept every episode of every podcast that we've ever done including the original audio files and the edited audio files uh, that, that, that we've ever done under my tenure uh, as first executive director and now CEO at, uh, at StarQuest. But uh, like I've, it, I've got it on a, a NAS drive next to me and it's, that's backed up into uh, a, a, an Amazon S3 server or Glacier really, uh, which is their deep, deep freeze server. Uh, I'm, I am obsessive about both archival and backup. Uh, and that goes back to the, my obsession, and I'm, I probably mentioned before, goes back to the time that I had all of my grad school papers on a zip disk that, that got the zip click of death and died and lost them all. And now mm. I... <laughs> so I, I agree. I think... If it doesn't I, exist in three places, it, it doesn't, doesn't exist. exist. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Uh, so uh, I, I agree. I think keeping things is fine. Hard drives are, are big. Hard drive space is cheap. Uh, the, you know, put it in the cloud, put it in, in various places. And, it, but one of the things I love about this story is that, well, you know, as, as it says in the story, um, the, the subreddit called our data hoarder, this ain't the grant and partnerships funded, well-coordinated operation of the internet archive. It's the individual obsession driven, our data hoarder. And that's one of the things, great things about the internet is it's about individuals. So a researcher who's looking for some particular set of data goes here and says, hey, anyone have like a, an archive of this, like tweets about blank uh, historical thing? And someone will pop up and go, I have that <laughs> because, <laughs> of course, you know, there's someone who's got an interest in everything. And I love the, the distributed nature of that. Mm hmm. And I'm sure you do too, Thomas. <laughs> oh yeah, it's well, it's the, it's the Wikipedia, right? It's it's yeah. uh, the Wikipedia of data hoarding, basically, and it and the the entire uh, bent of Wikipedia is that everyone is interested in something enough to be obsessive about it. Yes. Well, and I like the fact that these are. It's almost like we've got all of these mini historians that each have their own specialty and their own fanaticism and their own way of doing it, but they're they're interested in history. Yep. And right. I think that's something that, you know, we tend to say, well, history, so what? Well, that there's a reason. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And my pick of the week is going to have a connection to that. So thank you for bringing that up because uh, uh, there is, a, there is a, an interesting connection to, to my pick. Uh, so I, I want to get into some news that 
broke today as we record this, and it was an, it was not a surprise. It was expected. Apple officially unveiled their the long rumored iPhone nine, uh, which was been called, but it's really it's they're calling it the iPhone SE, the twenty twenty version. Their low cost or budget or whatever phone, and it basically the way it's being positioned is it's it comes at a mid range Android phone price with iPhone eleven internals. Which actually has led some people to say, well, that means the iPhone 11 is overpriced, which perhaps it is. But uh, that's that's not just because of that. I mean, there are, there are other factors involved that make this different from an iPhone 11. It's not exactly the same thing. But uh, what do you guys think? Have you looked at the the stories and seen the specs on it? What do you think of this this new phone? Uh, Pat, you, you have, you have uh, experience with both Android and, and iPhone? Right. And I've got a lot of clients for whom that that uh, higher end iPhone is just out of their range. And Mm. this opens that up to a lot of my clients and says, well, I've got to have a phone, but I'm keeping my my flip phone because I just can't afford a smartphone. This makes this much closer in range. And I think you're going to you know, they were saying that they didn't think that this was going to have that high of sales. I've had people waiting for this phone. Oh, yeah. yeah. Wanting it to come back. Yeah, this is yeah. uh, it starts at three ninety nine for a sixty four gig uh, phone. That's great, and uh, goes That's up fantastic. to five forty nine for a two fifty six, which is more than I more than even I need. I get it, frankly, <laughs> I yeah. don't need two fifty six. But yeah, what do you think, Thomas? I'm I'm impressed. Um, I I'll say that the the one thing that is all that I've always liked about iPhones is the experience is very nice. It's a very pleasant phone. Uh, I, I was worried about them doing a budget phone. But, you know, Apple's never going to let the internals be bad. So really what they've done is they've just cut the bells and whistles. So right. they've, they've taken the really high end like camera and uh, some of the screen functions and some of the other things that really make the the iPhone 11, you know, just stand out flagship type phone. And they've just pared them down to uh, equivalent versions of what you would get on a $400 phone. Right. And it's it's good and, and and the experience is going to be the same as an iPhone so if you like the iPhone experience but you don't want to pay $1000 for it this is the way to go. Yeah, one of the big differences is a camera to get a single uh sensor on the back, a single lens on the back instead of two or three or four or six dozen <laughs> like the high-end phones have these days. Uh it's touch ID instead of face ID so that uh, reduces some of the and and frankly I know people who prefer Touch ID over Face ID. They they mm-hmm. they they like that experience better. Um, so uh, there's that, and uh, it's got decent battery life. And uh, so I'm looking at this and thinking, you know, at some point, uh, my daughter has a, a one of my old iPhone six that she left sitting on the floor of her bedroom and stepped on. Uh, it's it, it, mm. <laughs> so the screen is cracked, <laughs> and I'm I'm waiting the day that we could. Just, get uh, screens replaced that's somehow <laughs> they're not doing that at the moment uh but uh it's not on a data it's not on a phone plan it's i we just use it sort of like a fancy ipod touch basically at this point she, mm-hmm. we, she doesn't have a reason to have a phone yet but uh you know she's she's 14 or next month wow <laughs> sorry just had the dad realization yeah. mine's mine's 15 in a couple so <laughs> i know that feeling <laughs> yes so but i'm thinking like there's going to come a point not too long where I, I think I'm going to need to get her a new phone. And wow, this mm. is, you know, and maybe if I can get a refurb down the line a bit, you know, when the refurbs come out, usually the, you can usually get refurb phones about 60 to 90 days after they're initially released. That might be something to consider down the line. I mean, that, but three ninety nine that's a really good, really interesting price point for an iPhone. That's definitely. 
so I agree. I, I like this phone. Um, it's a, it's a really, I think it's a great idea. Again, if my mom needed a new phone, she has, I think she has the last iPhone SE. So it's, it's pretty dated. This would be a good phone for her. This would uh, certainly, cause yeah. it's, it's a bigger screen than the last, uh, iPhone SE as well. Uh, not as, and it's not as big as the, the flagship phone, the phones, which some people have been holding off from because of that. Well, and I will say too, like I don't buy flagship Android phones because they don't perform well. They, they have excellent specs. Like all of the Samsung phones that I've owned have been terrible. Um, all of the, the other, uh, big name phones that I've had. So I go with the, um, the Motorola's and I get like the midline Motorola phones Yeah, and they work, they're workhorses, they're great phones. They're really snappy. And that is the price point that I pay, yep. like the two ninety nine to three ninety nine range. A couple other things that that you that folks may have seen in the headlines: uh, Better Business Bureau, some police departments have all been kind of warning people lately: stop taking Facebook quizzes that name your favorite whatever or your childhood whatever. And another one I saw is don't, don't post your yearbook photo with your high school and year of graduation. All this is about don't give out personally identifiable information that can be used to social engineer passwords that's a big aspect of it or steal your identity uh you, you think this is overcautious or does this make sense please stop taking facebook <laughs> quizzes that ask you personal questions i just, would like to see it. them banned i really yeah. would because you know i look at all of the questions that my clients are having to answer for security for cable for all mm -hmm. these things right that's where a lot of those questions would be very helpful for the bad guys mm -hmm. right yeah. Well, and, and not even that. Let's let's just go beyond the the. Well, I never answered a question like that. Okay, well, let's, a spear phishing campaign is going to do exactly that. They're going to ask all these questions, and then they're going to gather all that data, and then they're going to find somebody, and they're going to make a fake profile that says that they graduated from that high school at around that same time that you did, and they're going to contact you and say, "Hey, do you remember me? And we were in this in this class together." Because it's not hard to find the teachers' names who were teaching there at the time. Yeah, and. You're and you're done. Like and that's it. They're gonna get. They're gonna wheedle their way into your life, and they're gonna get information about you that you didn't think you were gonna give. Yeah, and that's how easy it is. Bill Murray did it in Groundhog Day in 1993. I right. remember <laughs> <laughs> before the the internet was big. <laughs> so, so yeah. yeah. Well, and they've got your graduation photo that they can use as your throwback uh, profile photo, and yeah, that, that's yeah. true. And one of the things I do when I'm when I fill out security questions. I, I, I Again, I mentioned this before. I don't put the actual information there. I generate mm. random dictionary words in my password manager and put that in there and then record what the answer was in the password manager in a secure place. Don't give the bad guys any vectors to get your data. That's just don't. Uh, stay, keep yourself safe. I agree. Don't, I, and just don't play the, the silly games. You know, do this at Thanksgiving dinner with your family next time when we're, we when we can do such things again. But don't don't do this on the Internet. And j just so everyone's clear, we are talking about the ones that give you like a list of things and say, oh, pick the birth, the the, the month that you were born in and the, yeah. and like all of that kind of stuff. Just yeah. none of it. Don't do don't participate in any of it. What are the three digits on the back of your debit card? <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> uh. don't, don't do that. <laughs> so I, I, then I wanted to give a, a personal experience uh, just to relate something that a uh, technology related that I've uh, experienced uh, over the past week. I have a, an iMac that uh, a 5K Retina iMac from 2017, I think it is. It might be uh, that I has been running Mojave, Mac OS Mojave for a long time when Catalina came out last fall, 
it was a big jump. They were they all 32 bit apps would 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 stop running. You had to run only 64 bit. I had a couple 32 bit apps, so I was holding off. I this is my production machine. I need this machine to to make podcasts and to do my work. Uh, it, and I can't afford to for it to not work. So I held off, and then I got to the point where. I, I just didn't have time to like to spend because I know it takes a couple of days to recover from an up, a major upgrade just to get everything smoothed out. And so finally, I was able to do that. Actually, uh, I did. I re- did it on Holy Saturday because I knew I wasn't <laughs> going to have any podcasts or work uh, for a couple of days and uh, upgraded it to Catalina. And it went really well. Now, there's always bumps. Uh, there's always over a couple of days. Things will pop up like, oh, uh, where's that app that's always supposed to be running? Oh, I have to re-enable that. Oh, uh, that one's that thing's looking for a password or some security setting is wrong on that. And so it smoothed it all out. By Monday when uh, I, you know, doing podcasts again, all that sort of stuff, it was smooth as butter. So really, really pleased with how well that went. Really happy with that. Um, and I'm really happy with a couple other things that it fixed this long-standing iTunes problem. Now that iTunes is gone. I had this problem. Uh, I so just a little history. I've had a version of iTunes going back to Sound Jam from Cassidy and Green. That's what that's the original iTunes software was that Apple bought. This goes back to around two thousand and one, two thousand two thousand one. Yeah. So my iTunes library was basically upgraded from that for twenty years. Ju- just after Napster, right? Uh, <laughs> maybe somewhere around the same time period. Let's say. Uh, we won't go into too much detail about why that would be around the same time period. But uh, the, the one of the problems I was having all through Mojave was uh, every time I would launch iTunes, it would ask me for my password, my my you know my iCloud password, five times in a row for five different aspects of the. Uh, oh my gosh, it would drive me insane. I would avoid iTunes just for that reason. Mm-hmm. All gone now. All fixed. Oh, that's that's good to know. I haven't upgraded yet, so I'll have to oh, yeah. I'll have to get on that now. That was good. <laughs> and the other thing I really like is because it's a relatively new uh, Mac, and I have a I have a, a very new iPad. I can use Sidecar, which lets me use the iPad as a as a second screen, or in my case, a third screen, uh, off of my Mac, and it works beautifully. It's it it's flawless. It's better than the third party functions that I've used before. Where like Duet and others, because I can I've found that you can actually switch out of it, use an app on the iPad, then switch back into it seamlessly. Hmm. Really nice, really enjoying that. Uh, it's I've been able to. You'd think with two twenty-four seven-inch screens that'd be enough. It's not. I uh, I can never have <laughs> enough screen real estate. I've actually been using it to put some other things over there as well, so I don't cover things up. So just wanted to relate the 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 upgrade experience to Catalina waiting what is it, six, eight months <laughs> afterward has been uh, well worth it. Uh, it's stable. It, they've had enough updates. It's it's a good experience. So recommend it to folks to give it a try uh, if you haven't yet. But also, if you feel like waiting, it's not, it doesn't hurt to wait. All right. So uh, let's move on to our final segment where we talk about our picks of the week. And Pat, I'm, I'm going to let you go first uh, or picks of the week to, uh, this week. Oh, well, since I wasn't expecting to be on this particular episode, I have to admit I really don't have a real pick of the week. But let me tell you something that even though it's been in the news a lot, Zoom has really been a help for family, for friends, for coworkers, for uh, people that I have as clients. and. Once they got some of their security issues nailed down and, and, you know, let people know what things were helpful for the security, 
I, I, I like Zoom. You know, it's really been very helpful. And it, it yep. has scaled well, considering how huge the growth has been. I did my first Zoom call on uh, Easter Sunday. We, we did uh, Zoom with, uh, with your family. Pat, you know, uh, get to remind folks, Pat is my mother-in-law. So we Zoomed with, with her family and we Zoomed with my family. And it was the first time with, with uh, my family Zoom, I hosted it. So it was the first time for me to host it. And uh, I noticed that, that the default security settings were set correctly, as we've been talking about in the last few episodes. So I was yes. pleased with that. Uh, so that, that went well. Then uh, what was the other thing? Oh, and speaking of Zoom, the proliferation of uh, Zoom virtual backgrounds has been <laughs> awesome. So in it's addition, hilarious. <laughs> and so DC Comics has a bunch. Like if you want to be sitting in front of Arkham Asylum while you're on your uh, business meeting, the Star Trek.com has a bunch from Star Trek Picard. So if you want to sit in nice. Picard's Chateau Picard's study, you know, his study at the uh, at the at the winery in France, La Bar, you can do that. <laughs> so I, I downloaded them all. So it's awesome. That it's that's a lot of fun. So yeah, that's a good pick. The only drawback to them is if you have more than one person in your session on your side. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we yes. had floating heads on the, yeah. in our Zoom because of that. You know. A few Cheshire and, family members <laughs> going yes. in and out. Yes, that was true. That was true. And the other thing you have to be careful for is if if you decide you want to have people on separate uh, instruments or devices, you've got to be aware of the, the audio feed problem where yes. all of a sudden you start getting that echo and shriek right. of that. So, mm-hmm. you know, just hug your partner close when you're there <laughs> and then both of you can stay in the picture. That's right. That's <laughs> yeah. right. Uh, so, Thomas, what do you have for a pick of the week? So in a similar vein, since a lot of people are staying home right now and uh, are trying to keep busy and you've always wanted to try and broadcast or to stream or something like that, um, I have picked the open broadcaster software, which is, you know, if anybody who's listened to the show for any time knows, I love open source uh, software. And so this is an open source uh, broadcasting software. It can be used to record. I'm using it to record video lessons for my students right now. Uh, you can pick all of the video inputs. So you can pick a desktop video input as well as a camera input and overlay them. You can set it all up beforehand so that your picture is where you want it to be. You can move back and forth between them with um, uh, shortcut keystrokes uh, that don't affect any of the things that you're doing. Uh, so if you want to game and uh, have your face visible while you're gaming, you can do that. You can also stream directly from the the software. So you can set up a stream and you just uh, put a URL link out and people can follow that URL and that will allow you to um, to stream. Now, you do have to have some back uh, some background on how how you're going to set up the stream and how you're going to get people connected to it. But it works out pretty well. Mm. Um, I, have, I have loved it. I think it, it's a fantastic way to record video really quickly. Uh, I love the ability to just do shortcut keys to switch between uh, my face talking to someone and then me watching, uh, you know, me doing something on my desktop and then being able to see me still working on it. And uh, the kids have had a really positive response to it too. Awesome. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, open source. Like you said, Windows, Mac, Linux, and uh, you can live stream with it. And that's I will say as as a Linux user who is uh, a complete masochist and uses Arch Linux, which means I have to build like everything from from the ground up. Uh, <laughs> it was a really easy install connected with all of my stuff. Very, uh, very in a very straightforward way. It doesn't make any assumptions. So uh, there are some there is some level of you having to go in and like tell it exactly what you want it to be doing. But that's great, in my opinion, because then you get complete control over exactly what it's seeing and where and, and when and how. Cool, cool. And it, it will stream to the usual suspects 
Facebook, yes, and YouTube, yeah, Facebook, and Twitch, Twitch. Yep. Yeah, cool, awesome. That's really neat. Uh, all right. So then, my pick of the week is a piece of software that's for Mac and iOS, and this kind of goes along with the. Would you, Pat, you mentioned about uh, histor- amateur historians of a sort. Uh, I've seen some archivists and librarians and historians encouraging people, asking them that in this unprecedented time we're living, keep a journal, keep a diary. Diaries are important sources for historical information, more so than even just news articles or official government records. Diaries give a flavor of what it's like for a regular person to, to live through a time. Revolutionary War diaries and letters that people sent uh, are invaluable insights into what it was like for people in the during the Revolutionary War, for instance. Uh, so uh, one diary software, excellent diary software, journaling software that I recommend that I use myself, it's called Day One, Day One for Mac and iOS. Uh, there's a free ver- uh, level, and then there's various subscription levels that give you more and more features, um, and that you, it's secure. You can put it behind a- AES-256 uh, pr- um uh, encryption. Sorry, I was struggling for the word encryption. Uh, and it's uh, so it's securely encrypted. Uh, it's it's blind. Like they don't have they don't have the key. The day one folks don't have the key. They if you lose your password, you're toast. So don't lose your password. Uh, it's it's that secure and it uh, it's really nice and it can do things. It's got some nice bells and whistles. Like it can automatically pull in location data, uh, weather data. You can put photos in. Um, it has an API that you can add things remotely. So I, I have it archive all of my social media posts and all of my Instagram posts. Uh, thousands, there's thousands of entries of those in there. Um, and uh, you can have it, you can have multiple, you, at, at different subscription levels, you can have multiple journals. So instead of having it all in one big place, you can have a work journal and a personal journal and a family historical journal that you, the sort of stuff that you'd be okay with people reading publicly later. And then something that's private where you can talk about your obsession with My Little Pony or something. But <laughs> well, you don't want anybody to know about that. So uh, I'm not saying it's a friend of mine. Okay. Uh-huh. Yeah. So not, no, <laughs> nobody on this uh, podcast is, 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 is I'm talking about. Anyway, uh, so but it's it's great software. Check it out. But it, it find some way to keep a journal, even if you get a little analog notebook with a, pen, a pencil or a pen and just keep some notes. Uh, your kids will thank you, your grandkids, your great-grandkids, not to mention posterity in general. Uh, what was it like for great-granddad in the great pandemic of 2020? <laughs> so uh, that's my suggestion. All right. So uh, I think that about wraps it up for us. So uh, we'd love to hear from you, uh, your feedback on any of the topics we discussed or any of our picks of the week. You can let us know by commenting on the show at sqpn.com slash technology or the SQPN Facebook page, facebook.com slash starquestmedia, or send us an email to technology at sqpn.com. And of course, we'll put links to the various uh, news articles and picks of the week on our show notes at sqpn.com. We do want to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create secrets of technology, including Martin, Jonathan, Deborah, Julie, and Tony. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of technology and all the shows at StarQuest. You can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. Be sure that you have subscribed to the show in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, your favorite podcast app, or you can find us at the SQPN YouTube channel where you should hit the bell to get notifications. 
Until next time, Pat Scott, thank you for joining me at the last minute and sharing the secrets of technology. <laughs> Goodbye. And Thomas Sanahiro, thank you as well. Thanks for having me. Uh, not you, Siri. And once again, <laughs> I'm Don Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to The Secrets of Technology on StarQuest. <laughs>